from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hey everybody and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Maggie Vespa in for Laurel. So after months of closures and restrictions because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Portland and the rest of Multnomah County entered phase one reopening last week, specifically on June 19th. Since then, we've seen restaurants and stores start to reopen. People are getting haircuts and tattoos apparently again. Life in a lot of ways seems to be returning to normal, at least somewhat. But let's be very clear. The pandemic is not over. Far from it. Statewide and in Multnomah County, we have seen some of the largest daily increases since the pandemic began and spikes in smaller counties in phase two as well. So that's new, too. So here to talk about how Oregon is doing in fighting the pandemic as the state reopens is Dr. Dean Seidlinger with the Oregon Health Authority. Doctor, first, I mean, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for helping us get the word out. Oh, definitely. So let's start with these new projections just released at the end of the week. I'm going to have you walk through um, sort of the three scenarios and we're showing them now um, and just kind of give us your take on, on what this means, what you're taking away from it at this point in the reopening. Yeah, so first a little background on our modeling. We've been doing estimates or projections to help us with planning to see where we're going to be in the weeks and, and months down the road. We take our existing data um, that we're seeing across Oregon, um, put it into the, the model and then project where we're gonna go. Um, so what we know is we've been seeing increased transmission, increased cases since we started reopening um, in the middle of May, and that was to be expected. But what we've seen is really a dramatic increase in that um, those cases in the last couple of weeks across Oregon, much of that due to workplace outbreaks. As you said, some of the smaller communities um, across the state are, are impacted by that, but we're also seeing social gatherings impact that. So with that in mind, we, we ran some modeling scenarios and you know the best case scenario said that where we were um, this past week with the data that all we were doing with these new increased case numbers was picking up cases that were undiagnosed. That's probably unrealistic, but that would say that, yes, we would say that a fairly consistent 180 cases a day, um, at least through the middle of July more realistic in what we're seeing in the data with our increased percent positivity, as well as an increase in the hospitalizations that started to tick up is that we're seeing more cases in um, the state. And that would mean that those cases will continue to go up slowly and that we could reach um, over 900 cases um, by the middle of July. And that's if we don't do anything else. Um, if transmission increases even more, um, and that um, all of the increase in cases we're seeing is because we're picking up new cases that wouldn't have um, been infected uh, or wouldn't have um, people who wouldn't have been infected if um, they weren't um, getting the disease because of our opening activities. We could be up close to 5,000 cases a day. But the good news is we all have a role to keep these numbers down and to keep ourselves and our fellow Oregonians safe. If we just avoid large crowds, if we keep our distance, trying to stay six feet apart, and we cover our faces when we can't do that, especially indoors, doing all those things together, we're not going to see this huge increase in the coming months, but we need to be prepared for it anyways. Yeah, understood. And that's always important. You did say this was expected. Does that mean that, I mean, is there a way to reopen given with Oregon's phases or like other states have been using their own models without seeing these spikes that you think is, is genuinely feasible? Like how expected was it when, when you give that characterization? 
I think let's first remember that um, Oregon did a great job of coming together. The governor's executive orders that came out in March and with people coming together to listen to those orders, people stayed home and saved lives. The flattening the curve we talked about really happened and it happened to a great extent here in Oregon. We have one of the lowest case rates in the country. Everyone who needed care, who showed up the hospital for care if they had COVID was able to get that care. We weren't in danger of, of not having a bed for them. Um, since that time, you know, the personal protective equipment is becoming better, um, is more accessible here in Oregon. We have more testing in Oregon and we're able to get that out. So we, we've come together before to flatten the curve. Um, we didn't shut down as entirely as some other states. There were still many more people going to work in construction and um, other factories and warehouse settings um, that didn't that were shut down in other states. So we still had some businesses open that were beyond just that essential where you get food and where you get your medicine. We knew that as we started to reopen, as other states have seen, more people are going to come into contact with each other. And because of that, because people could be out walking around without symptoms and still be infectious to others, that we are going to see more cases. So we use these um, estimates, this modeling to help um, show where we might be. They don't predict the future, but they help us as a planning tool. And that planning tool shows us that those cases can increase fairly quickly um, the more people have contact with each other. And that's why the, the roles we all have to play, again, avoiding crowds, um, staying six feet away, keeping our distance and covering our faces are things we can all do together that don't just protect ourselves, they protect our families and the broader community. And, you know, Oregon's done it once, I think we'll continue to do it. Even as the weather is nice, you know, trying to find that isolated patch rather than the crowded stretch of beach or the crowded riverfront or the crowded park. Let's, you know, um, stick together with our, you know, our closest friends, those who are in our household and put off those large gatherings for a little more time so that we can um, get this under control together. Sure. The numbers, though, these new numbers are based on spikes that have already started to happen. So, you know, sort of we do have a bit more data than we did prior to any reopening, especially phase one um, across the state. Are these worse than what you expected once reopening started, better than what you expected once reopening started? I mean, in other words, were you disappointed when you saw these new projections that are actually based on current rises in cases and hospitalizations? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we are a little bit more disappointed as we see these case numbers rise. In our modeling update from two weeks ago, um, you know, we, we didn't see quite this increase. This modeling shows a, a bigger increase than we'd seen in those um, past two weeks. Part of that is we know that there's a lot more folks out there with mild symptoms or no symptoms at all that we're picking up as part of investigations in workplaces or some of these social gatherings friends and families who've started to come together since reopening and especially since um, Memorial Day um, and, and other things. So we're picking up more people with mild disease um, and we're working to get them to stay home while they're sick, to contact the folks who may um, have been exposed and get them to stay home um, while they might um, develop the disease so we can try and prevent the spread. So yes, these, these numbers, these projections are higher than we'd hoped. Um, but again, we can work together to make sure that this doesn't happen, um, that we keep these numbers down. And that's by having people, you know, change their routines, cover those faces, keeping our distance and avoiding those large crowds. Again, putting off some of those vacations that we've been yearning for and vacationing in our own backyards or on our patio or in front of an open window, somewhere in our neighborhood, somewhere in our community. And that's what we're going to do to come together, protect Oregonians. Based on what you're seeing, are you worried there's a chance we'll have to shut down again? 
I think that's always a possibility, but what we've um, presented as we've talked about this, reopening is a team sport. We all have to work together. Um, one of the most critical things is to make sure that if someone needs um, care in a hospital, in an ICU or on a ventilator, that that's there. So we watch those hospitalization numbers really closely to make sure that those who are most seriously ill can access the care they need. And right now that capacity is there. Our hospitals can provide the care that people need for everyone who shows up. In addition, we said, as we see increased cases in the community, we work together as a public health system from the state, our local public health partners and our tribal public health partners to work together to try and meet the need to do the investigation and the contact tracing for those cases in communities. Can we shift resources? For example, when the large um, outbreak happened on the coast in Lincoln County um, in a fish packing plant, you know, neighboring counties stepped up. Um, OHA stepped up, the community colleges, our tribal partners stepped up to um, aid in working on that outbreak. That's happened in other communities as well. So can we move those people? Can we get the resources we need to do the public health investigation to protect people when we identify these clusters, these new cases? And to date, we've been able to do that. Um, so we'll continue to build up that workforce, add additional contact tracers and investigators so we can try and meet that need and help protect Oregonians. Again. It's a team sport. We're in this together. Our local partners, our community-based organizations, our healthcare partners, our tribal partners, all working together to keep Oregonians safe. But we ask everyone does their part as well. You keep saying team sport. And actually, I read an article the other day that said uh, America seems unable to work as a team right now. And it was sort of linking everything to Election Day and um, the presidential cycle right now. And obviously, that's only going to get more intense as we get closer to November. Is it frustrating for you doctor to see uh, the science behind this, especially masks and other ways people can protect themselves, be politicized like this? Yeah, I think we, if we ground ourselves in the science and ground ourselves in the data, um, we can come together and really have the best impact. Um, so, you know, we have to combat some of the misperceptions that are out there. We want to make sure that that mask that we're wearing is protecting our family, is protecting some of our vulnerable relatives, our friends, is protecting our community. And by those around us doing that, they're protecting us as well. Um, so again, we need to come together. This isn't about left or right. Um, this is about coming together to have a safer Oregon, um, to be healthier. Um, and we can all do that. We know that certain segments of our population are older adults. Um, people with underlying medical conditions are more at risk for complications. So we wanna you know, give them the resources they need to stay home as much as possible. Keep in touch with them, socialize with them, maybe from a distance using technology where we have to. And, you know, we need to remember that there are segments of our population that have been dramatically impacted by this. Our um, Black, African-American, African immigrant communities, our Native American, Latinx, Pacific Islander communities who are have higher case rates, who are more likely to be hospitalized. And when we look at large numbers across the country are more likely to die from this disease. And so we need to all come together because by doing some simple things, again, avoiding those large crowds, keeping our distance and covering our faces, we're gonna protect everyone, including those parts of our state that are more vulnerable to the complications. At this point, perhaps it feels a little bit silly to, to, to kind of draw this out, but I'm gonna ask you to, what do masks do? We keep getting questions from people about why they have to wear a mask, should they be wearing a mask, who should be wearing a mask? Can you just quickly explain the science behind it? So when we talk about masks or covering our faces in the community, they serve a, a purpose of kind of preventing the spread of an infection from one individual to those around them. 
what we ask people to do is if they're sick, if they have a fever or symptoms of COVID-19, that they stay home because we know that um, they may have the disease and we know they could spread it to others. But as we learn more about this virus and the fact that people can spread the virus before they develop symptoms, or some people don't get symptoms at all, what we do by covering our face is we can prevent those viral particles as we talk and breathe, or even as we cough, if we're going to the doctor, for example, we can keep those contained in the mask. It doesn't contain everything, but it really does help um, contain that within the mask so that those around us, particularly those within six feet of us, are much less likely to be exposed to the virus. This is a technique we use all the time during flu season, or if you show up at your doctor's office and you're coughing, they're probably gonna ask you to wear a mask. That mask isn't protecting you, but it's protecting those around you. It's a little different than the mask we talk about in the hospital or in the ICU, where that mask is protecting those hospital personnel. Um, that's a special mask that filters out viruses and other infections from getting to people. But when we're covering our faces with a bandana or a scarf, a homemade cloth mask, um, a paper surgical mask, um, that really is protecting those around us. And that's why, again, the team sport where we all come together, if we all wear a mask, if it's the normal thing as we walk into the store, as we um, um, go about our day, um, that's gonna normalize it and be more likely that those around you are gonna offer that protection to you. So let's get together, Oregonians. Yeah, absolutely. Uh the governor, the state is asking people to wear a mask when they're indoors at the same time. An exception is, and for obvious reasons, if you're at a restaurant or you're somewhere that you're eating and drinking, uh, that's not necessary. So that kind of begs a question. Um, is it safe to eat in a restaurant right now if everybody who's sitting down to enjoy a meal is removing their mask to do so? I think as we've set up guidance for reopening, um, we know that there could be increased transmission. And that's why we put up guidance that really offers protection to the individuals who work in those settings and who um, are customers in those settings. So certainly in a restaurant where we can't cover our face all the time, um, where we have to remove that, there are some risks. But restaurants have been great about um, implementing distance between tables, limiting the size of the parties that can sit down, having their staff um, wearing face coverings as they're the ones who are coming over to the table and taking orders. We're limiting um, the contact you know, with menus and, and other condiments and things that are on the table so we can prevent the spread from one to another. And a lot of our cities and counties have been really creative with um, opening up outdoor space, increasing patios, sidewalk seating, locking off curb lanes to get seating because we know that outside we can spread out a little more the air circulation is better, so it's less likely that you could be exposed outside. And who wouldn't want to be outside in a beautiful Oregon summer um, where you can eat outside and enjoy the view um, and spend some time with a small group of friends and family? So yes, all these activities can carry some risk, but our, our business partners and the, are following the recommendations we made to do it in the safest way possible to limit spread in these settings. Sure. And you just thank you so much. You led me to my next, my next question. What's the safest way to get outside with the weather being so beautiful right now? Everybody's craving that. So what would your recommendations be and how to do that safely? So I'll just start with, you know, the safest thing and the stay home, save lives work because staying home and limiting your contact with others is the, the best thing. And so if you if you have underlying medical conditions or you're an older adult, that can be the safest thing for you and limiting that. But as we go out and move about, remember that being outside is safer than inside. Inside with great air circulation, so opening a window or um, you know making sure that the airflow is great is safer than not having an open window and not having airflow. 
as we're outside, you know, trying to keep six feet away from people who aren't from your own home or aren't the, the people, the friends, the family that you came to the activity with is great. Um, you know, um, sitting further apart in the park if, if we're having a picnic or just um, kind of enjoying the sun um, is the best way to do it. If we're getting closer than six feet, if we're in a location that's crowded, even if we're outside, covering our face makes sense. You know, in certain situations, if we're doing strenuous activity, riding our bike, um, going for a hike, and there aren't other people in that six feet distance, you know, we don't have to cover our faces. But otherwise, in those crowded situations, especially if we're indoors or even in those crowded situations outdoors, covering our faces offers protection to those around us. But really, being outside is the safest thing. And it, in Oregon in the summer, there isn't a place most of us would rather be. Just one, find that peaceful place sure. where everyone isn't going so we can maintain that distance. One last question for you. You just brought up being in a crowd outside. We've been asked, we've been asked by a lot of people um, about the protests. At this point, can you say, and obviously protests in the wake of the death of George Floyd, and we're showing video of them now, can you tell us whether you believe any cases, any spikes have been linked, in fact, to the protests that we've been seeing? I think what we've seen is we've had some people who've tested positive for COVID-19 who've reported attending the protests. What we don't have is evidence that there's been transmission in those settings or large outbreaks with people attending one of those settings. So we know it, it's really important for our community to get out and demonstrate and talk about some of the values um, that we hold here in Oregon. Um, but we encourage people to do that safely, trying to maintain distance, covering their faces when they can't, because that is an opportunity for disease to spread. But right now we don't have evidence of, of spread in these demonstrations or protests that have happened, not just in Portland, but across our state. All right, Dr. Seidlinger, thank you so much. We're going to take a short break right now. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Seidlinger from the Oregon Health Authority when we return. We're back in two minutes. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Maggie Vespa in for Laurel Porter. And we're, of course, talking about what else? The COVID-19 pandemic and how Oregon is balancing rising cases with reopening the state, reopening our economy. Welcome once again. Thank you so much for being on our show again, Dr. Dean Seidlinger with the Oregon Health Authority. Um, you were mentioning something that you really wanted to touch on, which is asking people to basically watch their phones as we continue to reopen. And that's for a very important reason. What is that? I think, you know, for someone who's diagnosed with COVID-19, um, th that infection is going to be reported to our public health system. And so someone's going to call um, to see how you're doing, assess your symptoms, um, see who you may have been around when you're sick so we can try and limit the spread. So if someone calls from public health, um, if someone leaves a message saying they're coming from public health with a number to call back, call them back and answer their questions. Um, a, a similar thing will happen as we identify people who may have been around someone who's sick who were potentially exposed, we're gonna have someone call to find out how they're doing, what their symptoms are. These initial contacts are primarily gonna be by phone call, um, not unsolicited emails um, that come in, um, and text messages would be very explicit about calls that would happen um, and, um, and, and what's gonna happen. But what these calls do is they help us um, prevent the spread of the disease. So this isn't people checking on immigration status or checking to see if you were at a party that had more people than it was supposed to have. It's really checking to see what are your symptoms? What do you need to stay home while you recover? Do you need help accessing food? Do you need help um, in other ways and try and link you to those services? If you may have been exposed to someone but you don't have any symptoms, 
you may um, come down with COVID-19. So those are folks who we ask to stay home for 14 days so um, that if they do come down with symptoms, they don't infect others. Again, what would you need to stay home? How can we help you? This is really about getting people the things that they need um, to recover, um, to prevent infections to others, to keep our community safe. And it's a partnership. It's not a punitive thing. Um, most people have been very cooperative um, and we haven't had to use um, you know, the laws that we have that can keep people home because people wanna do what's right. People want um, to recover. People who may have been exposed wanna keep their neighbors, wanna keep their family healthy. And so we just encourage you to answer that call, answer the questions, and together we're gonna to get through this safer and healthier. I'm so glad you said it's not punitive because we, you know you talked about the laws that can keep someone home, but if someone says, yeah, I went to a party, <laughs> the, the, to the contact tracer, and that's what we're talking about is the contact tracing system, there's no penalty for that, correct? I just wanna reiterate that. Correct, we really just wanna know, okay, who was at that party, who are you near, so that we can contact them and let them know, for example, if, if you're someone who was sick and at that party, that they may have been exposed. If you, you know, are someone who's healthy and was exposed to someone else, you know, we'll start listing that to see if we need to contact people. But it's really to help keep those people around you safe, your family and your friends safe. Again, yeah, it's not punishment at all. It's really about this teamwork of how can we prevent the spread of the disease and how can we get through this together and, and protect those who are most vulnerable, our older adults, um, our folks with underlying medical conditions to prevent those complications, to keep our healthcare system, our hospitals healthy um, so that we can enjoy the summer together. Yeah. Let's talk about testing now and, and access to it. Um, how accessible is it? Just point blank. We heard about the fact, the point that it wasn't for a long time, especially in Oregon and in several other states. So if someone's, you know, seeking a test or wondering if they would like to get an antibody test or any of these tests, um, what would what would your answer generally to them be? I think, you know, testing, as you said, was very limited when we first started, but we've seen that increase, not just in Oregon, but across the country, where we're testing close to 30,000 individuals a week here in Oregon. That's significantly higher than where we were. Um, COVID-19, like other illnesses, most of the care is delivered through the healthcare system. So your clinic, your primary care provider, the doctor you usually see if you're feeling sick and are worried um, that you may have COVID, um, contacting them ahead of time, describing your symptoms, making arrangements to come in to get a test safely with um, limiting exposure to others is the best way. Many of our healthcare systems have partnered um, with community-based organizations or with public health to set up kind of drive-through or low barrier settings where you don't even have to go into the office, but calling ahead first, um, talking to your doctor, talking to your healthcare provider is one of the best ways. In addition, we've been working with local public health authorities who often have some clinics where people um, can um, sign up for appointments if they're having symptoms. As part of public health investigations, um, if we notice folks even without symptoms who may have been potentially exposed, we arrange to get them tested, whether in community events or other settings. But again, calling your healthcare provider, calling the local clinic is probably the best way. Certain retail locations are offering testing now, um, often by appointment, um, answering a series of questions. Um, but we wanna ensure that those who are symptomatic um, with symptoms of COVID-19, those who are exposed get testing, um, and that we save that capacity for those who are most likely to have it. You mentioned antibody testing, and, and right now antibody testing um, is a test that looks to see if you may have had the disease in the past. The testing work we've been talking about is um, a swab in your nose or a swab in your throat that sees is the virus in your airway right now. And that says, yes, I have the disease. 
antibody testing looks at our blood to see if our body um, made a response to the disease in the past. Um, those tests can help say that, yes, someone is likely to have had um, COVID-19 in the past, but they're not always accurate. And particularly since we don't have a lot of disease circulating in the community, really only a couple percent you know, or, or less even of Oregonians have been exposed to the disease, they can be misleading depending on what the positive or negative result is. So we use those in specialized settings, often our healthcare settings and other high exposure settings, but certainly that's something to call your provider, call your doctor about and see if it's a test that um, makes sense for you, makes sense in your current situation. That's the best way to access these tests. All right, Dr. Dean Seinlinger, I really appreciate your expertise and your time today. Um, and, if, and if people at home haven't, I really encourage them to check out the Oregon Health Authority's website. There's a ton of data and info and they can familiarize themselves with it. It's, it's really helpful during these times. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot. All right, and thank you for watching and for listening. Straight Talk, by the way, is also available as a podcast. You can just point your phone camera at that QR code on your screen. It'll take you to a link to download it, or you can search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time for Straight Talk.